lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to our second to last full episode of season one of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars Magazine editor Chase Bryson, and I'm joined by a man who may not know what to do with himself when the clock strikes seven this coming Friday night. It's my podcast partner and hijinks, Ben Enos. Hello, Ben. You know, I did the singing thing last week, and I'm assuming that cost us most of our small but ferocious fan base. So I'll abstain from singing this week. So hello, everyone. Welcome to the final 2021 episode of seven friday night the show you never knew you needed and the show whose absence will create a void in your heart so large that you will feel both void and empty until we return (laughs) merry christmas everyone oh man well it would be hard to top what the season's final night provided for us this past weekend norcal won 10 of 15 caf bowl championships and you and i were both able to finish the season by covering winners Five double A champion San Marin of Novato for you, three double A champion Bandon Fairfield for me. What did you think of the experience of covering a smaller division host site bowl for the first time? And how do you compare it to the experiences of covering the showcase games like you have in the past? Yeah, it was definitely a different experience. Uh, I was doing the math the other day, and I believe I got the chance to cover five state bowl seasons at the venue that's now known as Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson. Well, I watch a lot of boxing, so I know that. Uh, You've covered way more state games than me, so you know that feeling that we always got. You know, it's big time, right? You work in a press box. You have stack keepers provided. You get all of that. So it it was always something that I looked forward to because for a writer covering prep sports, it it made you feel a little bit bigger at the end of the year. Um, I say all that to say that that experience really informs the experience that I had at San Marin this past weekend. There, there was none of that. No press box, no stat keepers. It was just me and my old friend, Harold Aubin from Prep to Prep and the San Francisco Chronicle, walking the sidelines, talking about every play, trying to make sure we got a v- good video clip or two to go with an accurate stat sheet, a lost art, I will say. Um, you know, folks will get a chance to read about the scene in the next edition of Sports Stars when it comes out. But I'll give you a little bit of a preview. When I drove up, I felt like the entire Novato police force was there to greet fans. And it wasn't because we were in some sort of impending danger. You really felt like it mattered. It was an incredible showcase of what a community coming together to support a team feels and looks like. The fans were jammed in there. The game was a great one. And in the end, San Marin completed that storybook season and and celebrated with its community. I think at one point in our careers, that story that I told about the press boxes and the big boy teams would have been the goal for you and me. And I think there's still something great about that setting. But, and I used this point last week, what I saw at San Marin on Saturday was the reason we do what we do. It was a whole lot of fun. And I wanted to thank the administrators and volunteers, NCS Commissioner Pat Krukshank, who was in the house as well, and everyone who worked to put that event on. It, it was uh, it was a real treat. Um, Now, with all that touchy-feely stuff out of the way, I should probably tell you about the game. We both made a conscious decision to see teams we hadn't seen this year with our last games, and I was really happy I did because San Marin earned every bit of their story this year. Uh, 20-14 to win over Independence of Bakersfield. Justin Gwynn finished the year as Northern California's top running back in terms of yards. And when we texted at halftime, you asked me how he looked. 
And I told you that he'd been bottled up, but you could see it was there. You could see the talent. And in the second half, he proved that right. And he did it on both sides of the ball. Um, he was a game changer, but there were so many other contributors. Dominic Mancuso and Harry Hughes had big pass breakups late in the game. Joey Cook didn't have statistically the world's best game at quarterback, but he made some plays when he needed to. And by the way, he'll be back next year for San Marin. Um, and I feel like I really need to mention independence of Bakersfield a little bit because their fans came ready. Their players left it all out there. And if you haven't read about independence, coach Tyler Schilhobel and his journey uh, to get to the sidelines, go do so now. It's going to give you even more appreciation for what that kind of community the Falcons have as well. So now that I've taken up all our time and we're done for the week, uh, you also have a story from Saturday night to rival mine. First, uh, tell us a little bit about the scene at Vanden of Fairfield, and then we got to talk about the ending that left the Vikings a state bowl chance, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I will, I, I'll echo your sentiments first on, on just being part of the, of the host site, smaller bowl experience. And I thought it was, um for both you and I this this year it was even I would say even more energized only because for both Vanden and San Marin this was their first time and that really added to the experience as well I think and I honestly couldn't have picked a better game to go out on this year I'll start with the scene the scene was awesome I actually was able to get there right when um I somehow managed to by no um specific effort of mine ended up at the player's gate instead of the main gate and so I showed up just in time, trying to see a drum line. And I, I noticed this big giant Viking mascot. And I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? It so wasn't me. Waited. Huh? It, it was it not you. Me. No. His, his horns were bigger than yours. I'm sorry. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I don't like where this is headed. <laughs> but um, so I waited. And, and like within two minutes, the team came out and lined up. They had a giant flag. There was a bunch of youth football players that lined up along the sideline, had their hands out. Um, and they did like this walk in the stadium led by the drum line. And uh, it was really cool. They had a flag and a, and a title belt. Um, I got some video of it that I'm going to put into a, uh, a larger video on the game itself at some point this week. So um, that was really cool. And <clears throat> as for the game, you know, for three plus quarters, Vannon just looked like they'd run out of steam from such a long grind of a deeply emotional season. And they were down 13 nothing to Aquinas of San Bernardino. And just didn't seem like they were going to be able to sell the Falcons' defense. Then Devin Martin got his big paw on an Aquinas punt with 6.54 left, and everything changed. Special team shout-out, Coach Edson. The Vikings seemingly took the field as a different team. It was incredible. Quarterback Trey Dimes and Jemai East connected for two TD passes in those last six minutes, including the game winner on a fourth and four from the five-yard line with 120 remaining. Just remarkable. Um, so... Like Ben said, he and I will both have stories uh, for those games online at sportsstarsmag.com at some point this week, and both will also be featured in our December issue that releases next Tuesday as well. So and we moved into this week, and Sports Stars released its final NorCal rankings yesterday, expanding them from 20 to our top 35. Uh, you and I worked together on this, and it was not an easy list to finalize, but I do think the final product was an accurate representation and just how good the football was in the North State this year. Still, we thought we'd talk a little today about what might have made the season maybe even a little better. So I'll start with one of our favorite segments, Fill the Gap. And here you go. One player I wish I could have seen perform on the State Bowl stage this weekend was blank. Excellent question. We went back and forth last night about uh, 
this question and I've been thinking about it a lot. So I have multiple answers. The player I most would have liked to see on a bowl stage that we didn't get to this year is Kenny Leith of Rockland. Rockland was a phenomenal team this year. And by all accounts, Leith was among Northern California's best quarterbacks before getting hurt. The Thunder had a dream season, even without him. But what if he came back and made Rockland even stronger down the stretch? I am a well-known, well-admitted, much-admitted Joey Roberts fan. But what if QB1 was back for Rockland and they got to that state game? I think that would have been fun to see on that stage. Uh, I'm going to give a second answer also from the SJS. It is the MVP of the Delta League, Garrett McGriff of Jesuit. You know, I was watching some of the, the Saddleback games at home over the weekend. And when you get to the state level and to that stage, those big time playmakers really stand out. I'm thinking of Lucky Sutton from Cathedral Catholic, Stockton Zone, Relic Brown from Modern Day, Luther Glenn of Wilcox. Like when guys like that get on the big stage, they tend to make big plays. And I think if Jesuit had gotten that far, McGriff's abilities on both sides of the ball would have looked really good to a lot of people who maybe didn't pay attention to just how good he was for Jesuit this year. So those are my two bonus uh, answer is the missile Hassan Mahasan. That's the easy answer because then what would Sarah have looked like? Uh, maybe the result would have been the same, but who knows? I mean, he's a big time player for Sarah. So um, who you got? Fill that blank. You mentioned uh, big time players, you know, how they just pop and they show up in those games. You and I both sent uh, simultaneous texts to each other. Pony boy with an exclamation point mm -hmm. after his big long touchdown run to start the second half. That was pretty cool for a central Catholic and see the guy that we've been building up for a while um, show up on the big stage as well. My guy, the first one that came to mind for me uh, was Jerry and Dickey Valley Christian oh, wide receiver yes. do everything guy. Um, his TV catch to be Sacred Heart Cathedral in the winning moments of their league game was probably a top five highlight of the season. Someone got video of it and put it online, but um, it would have been cool to see him, uh, pull off a play or two like that on a big stage. And at least he's a junior, so he's got a chance next year. So that'll be cool. I also wrote down, which kind of goes hand-in-hand -hand with your Kenny Leith, I wrote down the, the Rockland receiver trio of Elias Mulliken, Nathan Kent, and Kyron Bell. Uh, I think yeah. they would have been fun to see also, uh, whether it's Team Joy Roberts or Team Kenny Leith, either one. <laughs> <laughs> Big-time athletes on a big-time team, no doubt. Yep. So I will fire back with another fill the gap of my own. When the playoffs started, we exchanged dream matchups that we would love to see. So we're going to do that again. Fill the gap. Blank versus blank is the dream matchup I would have enjoyed seeing the most. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer in two separate categories. Oh. A category of games that were the games that were scheduled, but didn't happen. And one a game that wasn't scheduled that I would have loved to see. So we'll start with the game that was scheduled but didn't happen. Central Catholic versus St. Francis of Mountain View. That was mm. going to be a season opener for both of those teams. It got smoked out. Talk about a sliding door theory here. What's the season narrative like if the Lancers lose that opener before beating De La Salle just a few weeks later? Could have changed the entire landscape of who goes where by the time we get to the end of, uh, of the, uh, the regular season. So that would be one, and then for uh, games that weren't for games that weren't scheduled category, I'm going to throw out Kimball of Tracy versus Casa Grande of Petaluma. Oh, take to the skies, big fella! Nicholas Coronado versus Jacob Porteous. 
two former guests of the show from this season who combined a pass for 102 touchdowns and just 14 interceptions this season. Unreal. So that would have been a lot of fun. I don't 75 have enough, to 73. I don't have enough pens and paper <laughs> in my household to contain that game. <laughs> you go. That would be great. Well, uh, we both, when we were talking about this question, we both mentioned McClymans right off the bat. And I do think McClymans versus pretty much anyone would qualify here because they're so fun to watch. Uh, and while I was tempted to go that route, I'm actually going to uh, stick with category number one that you have uh, suggested, games that we were supposed to see and didn't get to. And I'm going to go with the obvious one. Uh, the casualty of bad air, Pittsburgh versus Sarah right off the bat we would have known so much more about this season if that game got played. It, everything falls into line, all the transitive properties, all the Pythagorean theorems, they're all there if Pittsburgh and Sarah play in week one. So um, to be honest, I would have really liked to see Pittsburgh play any of those big teams and they played their share. I mean, gosh, they played Folsom. Uh, they, they played De La Salle. They played big time opponents, but Pittsburgh against St. Francis, Pittsburgh against Rockland, Pittsburgh against St. Mary's of Stockton, which is actually a matchup that has happened in past years. Those all would have been really fun because Pittsburgh was really fun to watch. But uh, I'm sticking with the game the skies denied, just like yours, uh, Pittsburgh against Sarah. I can't go wrong with that one. That, that would have been the same night as Central Catholic yeah. St. Francis. It would have, yep. Yeah, what well, might have been those games have been played. So here, I'll give you one last fill the gap since it became our favorite segment this year. Let's have fun with this one. The one team you didn't see in person this season, but wish you had was blank. This was the easiest question of the week. It is a CCS tie for me between St. Francis and Sarah. Uh, they were two of the very, very best teams in Northern California all season long. And while I did get to see them on television multiple times, I would have loved to see how big and physical both teams were up close and personal. Uh, and they had some incredible playmakers, obviously Sarah early in the year with the missile, Juju Teu, uh, congrats to him, by the way, going to San Jose State, it was announced this week, so, or last week, so uh, props to uh, Viliami Teu, but yeah, St. Francis and Sarah for me, how about you? Definitely, definitely, those are the top two for me as well, I'll throw an honorable mention to Jesuit, I would have liked to have seen Jesuit play, especially towards that last half of the season when they were just screaming opponents. Those are the three for sure. Those were the top three. Um, but, you know, another, you know, there's some, there were actually some bowl winners that we didn't get to see that I would like to see, including Sacred Heart Cathedral. Um, and mainly because I still haven't seen a game at Kizar Stadium. So I need to really oh, study that next year. Gosh. Um, but I would have liked to see Sacred Heart Cathedral. I, their story was, sounds awesome. And we, uh, we promised that we would bring a, a state champion into this, this episode this, this week. And we've got one set up. We've got in the Fighting Irish's uh, co-offensive coordinator, Mike Hill, um, a child of the city. He grew up in San Francisco, not far from Sacred Heart Cathedral. And he is uh, going to come on, talk about what the season was like for the Irish and just the kind of city pride that was boosted by their win, by Balboa's win. Um, and even, as you mentioned in our interviews, uh, City College of San Francisco winning the junior college title. So let's bring on Mike Hill and uh, see what he had to say. All right. Well, we said last week that we'd try to get a state champion to join the pod in this episode. And that's just what we have here as we welcome in Coach Mike Hill. He's the co-offensive coordinator for Sacred Heart Cathedral of San Francisco. The Fighting Irish closed out an impressive postseason run Saturday night by defeating Northview of Covina 
48-29 in the 4A State Bowl final at Kizar Stadium. A game that I picked correctly last week, I might note. We're excited to have Coach Hill aboard to talk about the absolute 180 turnaround the Sacred Hearts program pulled off at midseason this year. So, Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Let's not mess around. Let's dive right into Saturday's win, and we're going to talk uh, big picture first. Uh, just to start, what uh, what does the accomplishment feel like for you and the program as a whole? And kind of from a larger perspective, what does doing something like this say about your guys and really the way that the program continues to grow and improve and reestablish Sacred Heart Cathedral on the uh, larger California map? Oh, absolutely. So it's a big deal for for our school. Um, it's kind of surreal that we are in this position and we're kind of just trying to embrace it all and kind of, you know, enjoy the moment. But it's really hard to uh, to kind of grasp. It just feels like a dream that just won't, you know, like we just can't wake up from. So we're enjoying it as much as we can. Um, as far as the, uh, the school, we just had an all-school rally that, that included our entire student body, um, the admin, faculty, everyone that was a part of uh, – you know, this journey. So to see the school celebrate that and make it a big deal, especially during finals week, uh, it's kind of miraculous. And now we're thinking about the big picture for Sacred Heart and uh, for football in San Francisco, uh, just kind of put Sacred Heart on the football map. Uh, you know, we won a lot in volleyball and we had our success in girls basketball. So now to kind of put football in that spectrum and that's our, our name and, uh, you know, Sacred Heart history is it's a big deal. And I, as I think about you know, just football as a whole. It's time just to start respecting San Francisco's student athletes. Uh, you know, football players. These boys can play. Uh, we were talented with a with a few D1 athletes on our team. So we hope that uh, college, you know, will continue to come to San Francisco and give these uh, young men an opportunity. I'm going to ask you now a little bit, maybe some a little bit, about, maybe about the details of, of, of on Saturday's game. One of the game stories I read <clears throat> said you guys had 98 yards of penalties just by halftime. And you were able to break that 2020 tie with a touchdown right before the half. How big was that late first half drive? And then a second question, Ben and I have seen a number of really good teams let penalties sink them mentally. And especially right. the ones that, especially the ones that take away scores. Like I think that also happened to you guys on Saturday once. Right. What's the key for your group, not letting penalty frustration kind of snowball in the huddle and on the sideline? Uh, it's just kind of like a, identity of our team like just don't let nothing get you too far down and keep on striving so as you know we started 0 and 5 so giving up in the state championship really wasn't an option most times just just time to, to overcome uh, there are some big penalties man you know we kind of let our boys play free we try to keep them restrictive in the beginning of the year and it just didn't work out so uh we'll deal with the penalties and uh, i believe our offense can make big plays and we'll make up for it but uh going into that uh into that second quarter uh, we hit them with a flea flicker with about three seconds left. And that just changed the game for for us as coaches, the players, and then the crowd too. So that was an amazing moment. Well, you, you're talking about um, the offense kind of playing free, and there's no bigger um, symbol of that than your quarterback, Ray John Spears. So I wanted to pick your brain about him for a second. 15 for 22 for 300 yards and five scores in arguably the program's biggest win against a school not named St. Ignatius. Uh, right, right. First, what is he like as a leader? And as you got closer to this game, did you know he was ready to jump off in that moment like he did? Uh, absolutely. So uh, 
Ray's an amazing player. So it took him a while to develop. He was uh, gone in the in the summer a little bit with the AAU circuit playing basketball. So once he got back and then uh, he kind of took over the reins, I want to say game four. And then it, it was just uh, all she wrote after that. It was his team. He uh, demands, you know, people to play hard. He works hard. He practices hard. And uh, it's an honor to coach him. Going, if we go back to August 1st, and the Irish uh, are 0-5. The program's mired in the stretch of having lost 19 of its last 20 games dating back to 2018. So was the 21-20 Bruce Mahoney rivalry game win over St. Ignatius really all you guys needed to get right? Or what do you believe truly sowed the seeds of what you guys accomplished over these last two months? You know, as I look back, if we would have lost that game, I'm not sure if we would have been able to overcome. Because, I mean, as you know, that, that's a big rival game for the city. So, it meant a lot to, to win that game. And it kind of just gave us the inspiration to keep on, uh, you know, fighting for um, We knew we can do it. It's just like, I mean, our coach said it was like a nightmare. We lost uh, the Valley Christian in the last one minute on a, you know, a 60-yard pass. And we lost uh, against a city for our prep in the last, I want to say, one minute as well. So um, once we got that, we knew, like, we can do some big things. And we knew um, – Coach McGoffin scheduled a schedule that was really hard, but put us in a position if we won three games, we can make it in the playoffs. So we uh, we saw the social media chatter, and I guess there will always be chatter, right, about a 3-7 and seven team that makes the playoffs while other teams with winning records don't make it. Uh, I'm sure the coach in you can understand their frustration, but it also must feel pretty good to prove that your program deserved that shot that you got. Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, I understand scheduling. I understand A League and B League teams, and I know that I know the WCL we play we play in is is one of the toughest leagues in California. So, um, we we knew you know people will chatter, but it, it kind of got overwhelming week in week out. If we see you know same two or three people kind of just taking down on our success, so it kind of kind of bothered me a little bit. But it, it, it was a great moment just to go on that run to uh, win CCS to win NorCal and win State. It was kind of like a like a, we knew we can do it, and like you can't take this from us. So if you ever see the tweet I tweeted a few uh, weeks ago, it's like no matter what you can tweet about, it, but you can't take this uh, this championship from us. So uh, we, we're gonna live with this, and we love it. Yeah, very true. Uh, you mentioned something that I will end on as our last question because we have a friend who we've worked with for a long time as an alum of Sacred Heart Cathedral, and he actually went to a couple of the games on Saturday. So I was following along as the day went along. We've got Balboa, we've got yes. Sacred Heart Cathedral, and we've got CCSF all in the same day. You spoke to it a, a little bit a minute ago. What is city football like these days? <laughs> hey, all on the same day, the private school, the public school, and our, you know, City College have been doing it for a long time, but just all of us do it on the same day is surreal. We all, you know, we talk to them on Saturday night and we just like, hey man, this is amazing for San Francisco. We're glad we can put this together. I hope we can all get together and kind of just celebrate together if it's uh, with the teams or with the coaches, just to, just to like, just relive that moment. It's still unbelievable, so I'm kind of lost for words, but just to be a part of it is amazing. Did you grow up in the city, Mike? I did, I did. So I grew up, uh, I grew up a few blocks away from Sacred Heart. I didn't attend Sacred Heart, but went to a elementary school and middle school in San Francisco, and I went to a high school at South City High. Awesome. We've been we've been adamant through our careers that if anyone was ever going to pick one place to go watch a high school football game, there are very few places on that list for me. 
Keysar Stadium is one of them. So now you got a good football team. You got a good venue. Why would people not show up to start watching fighting Irish football, right? Right. I think they will now. So uh, I got to double check, but it was supposed to 5,000 people there uh, on Saturday. So we got this three or four year window. We're, we're going to try to maximize it and just continue to uh, try to build Sacred Heart into a powerhouse. Sounds great, Coach. We really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations once again. Enjoy your holidays. Thank you so much. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Coach. And now we're going to take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside-down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. A stalled generation? Who do you think is going to fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit NationalGuard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Well, thanks again to Coach Hill for joining us, and congrats to not only the Fighting Irish, but also Balboa and CCSF for doing some serious work on behalf of the city by the bay. We move now from Coach Hill to our coach, the lovable third member of our crew, Coach Terry Edson. In his last appearance with us this season, we asked the ball coach to break down what he saw from the games at Saddleback last week, what it's like to be done with the season at this point, And, of course, we open ourselves up for ridicule with some holiday-themed opinions. Well, maybe me more than you. Uh, Anyway, let's listen in for the final time this year to Coach Edson. Well, here we are, our final segment with the retired from coaching, but very much not retired from educating both children and Chase and I, Coach Terry Edson. Coach, two questions to start. First, no matter how you did each season, wasn't this one of the best weeks of the year? No practice to go to. And second, are you especially excited to join us because you don't have to make any picks this week? <laughs> first of all, I didn't know my first pick was going to get sideswiped by a or by a truck on the way down there. That's ridiculous. Okay, number one, that is unbelievably I'm just glad Central Catholic, everyone was okay in the accident, but I heard that on the news, like, okay, I'm that pig's gone, all right. And then, uh, I, I, I'm not sure who the Folsom quarterback was, if that was the same guy that played against us, because he didn't miss a pass again when we were, when we played him, and then he was a little off uh, the other night. Although, I told you, did I tell you Central Catholic had, I mean, Cathedral Catholic? I told you they had athletes. I mean, and they showed up in the state game. I, there's no doubt about it. So what was my other pick? You got McClellan's right. Yeah, there you go. What are you talking about? <laughs> should have been two and one. Come on. Who predicts that the bus is going to get hit by a sideswipe by a truck? <laughs> He's just climbing in. Okay. But outside of that, it's been a miserable picking season for me, but, um, uh, my points on the game have been spot on, so I'll stick with that. It is, you know, it's interesting. Um, it's actually, uh, which is a good thing. I was always able to play, you know, late into the season because of the state game. But when you go right from the, you know, we for usually the games were like a week later. So this would be the week of the state game. And so we would be done with finals. And then, you know, you'd go right into the state game. And then you come home and it's like, okay, I haven't done any Christmas shopping. 
And then the holidays hit. It's like as soon as New Year's Day is over, it's like, okay, now I need a vacation for my vacation. And uh, I tell you, it's I feel for all these high school guys because the guys go to state and all that for the first time and all that. It's it's exhausting. And and when you're finished, um, people don't realize how when you finally let your guard down and your um you know, you no longer have to prepare and you're no longer grinding. So you kind of wake up and go like, oh, I have nothing to do. Then it, then it about a day, it takes about a day, then it hits you. You are completely exhausted. And these, these poor guys, I mean, just kind of revving back up again. And it takes a while to like, okay, here comes, you know, because for a lot of these guys, the next season is going to start right, you know, three or four weeks. And they're not getting paid that way so, right. <laughs> up in three or four weeks. So I, I give all the high school coaches, people don't realize how hard teachers, coaches work, you know, especially if you're a teacher coach up here and all the time these guys in, uh, put into it. So Merry Christmas to everybody out there in that <laughs> world and uh, get a good rest. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, coach, we saw NorCal teams go 10 and five in bowl games last weekend but 0-5 in the showcase games at Saddleback College. We know you had plans to watch some of the games. I know you already threw in some, some of your thoughts on the teams that you picked. But uh, from what the, from the games that you're able to watch, the action you're able to watch, what were kind of your thoughts of, of what you saw? First of all, you know, you're playing those really good Southern California teams. It's, you know, they have a huge population base down there. So, you know, they're, they're just going to have – not that you can't win, but you just know you're, you're going to face – there's two things that Southern California has just, it just seems like um, a boatload of, of, they have athletes and they have size. You know, that's something that I, I guess is a, the population base is simply because, you know, there's, I don't know how many millions of people down in Southern California, but it just never, it just cracks me up. I mean, I, if you look like it, uh, like modern days offensive line, in all of Northern California, can you put a line together <laughs> that kind of size? I don't think we, we can, right? I mean, the quality of depth and the number of athletes and, and you know, like they have like, I saw Mario Day bring in like that freshman running. But I mean, it's just one athlete after the other down there. So everyone from NorCal, when they're going to go down there, you're going to face speed that you just don't see on an everyday basis. The only team that was overmatched in a sense of score wise and how the game went was the open game. I mean, everybody else, you know, hung in there, played it tough, came down to the wire. And that's, um, you know, there's a lot of pride up in this area for hard nosed football. And I, I really felt like all the, even though we didn't win, you know, some of those games, but wasn't, you know, weren't blowouts. They were hanging in there, break here or there, you know, the, the game can turn. So I, I was pretty happy with the way we represented ourselves. It uh, strikes me as either odd or just coincidental that Southern California teams won all five games down there and Northern California teams won all the games up here. It was an even split um, with double the games being played up here. I mean, surely that, that sort of spread says to us that we need to make an adjustment right we should be spreading this this thing around i don't, I don't know what that tells us well i mean not everyone i mean and, and i'm not making any statement here but i'm saying you know sarah <laughs> lucked into a charter flight down there which is great for them it's the best way to travel but 
it's just, you know, it, it's hard because, you know, you're used to, you know, sports and especially football, everything's about, you know, your rhythm and what you're used to. I really believe in that about athletics. You know, you have a certain way that you go about things and, you know, most teams travel maybe an hour and a half, two hours, you know, but this is a, a long bus ride. Um, then, you know, you're going to be practicing in a facility that, you know, no matter where you're traveling to in, in like a NorCal and you're playing someone, right, you're still always practicing at your hometown. I mean, you're on your hometown, you're practicing on your home field, wherever you go, you know, um, wherever you're going to play, if it's two hours, like we're going to play, say, a team in Fresno, we're still sleeping in our beds. We're still getting mom's cooking, you know, or dad's cooking. You know, it's it's just a sense of normalcy. When you go on the road, now you got to stay in a hotel. You know, you just can't take all those things for granted. You know, a lot of kids, you know, they're, they're used to, you know, just having their room. It's just you get a lot of things out of whack that you're not used to doing. Uh, I'm not, I don't know what hotel they stayed at, but, you know, the food, it's, everything's just different. And, and it's it's hard to it's hard to play on the road. I mean, just look in college in the pros. I mean, a lot of away, away teams, you know, it's it's difficult to play on the road. So there's no doubt about it. It takes away from what you normally go through in your rhythm as as um, as an athlete. So it, you got it's hard to overcome that, especially if you've never done it. I mean, if you have guys that. Have, Three straight, you know, like they've been playing state games. You have a team that saw, you know, that were sophomores and they played three straight years. That'd be a different thing. But most teams don't travel, you know, until just, you know, around the area, which may be an hour and a half to our drive. So it's a completely different environment. It's a completely different feeling. It's hard to overcome that, seriously. So, Coach, this is this episode will likely complete your journey with us for the first season of Summer Friday Night. We do plan to have a mid-January episode to talk about Sports Stars all NorCal team, but we can probably let you sit that one out. And since we've come to an end of our first season together. That's something you guys actually that. know more than me about in our NorCal team. I'll give you credit for that. Okay, so <laughs> we'll say it right here on the air. The NorCal team, those two, these two know more than I do. So congratulations on that one. Right since we've come to an end though, we thought we'd ask your thoughts on how you feel it's gone. Did you enjoy the journey? And are you open to running it back again next season? Oh, you really don't want me coming back, do you? <laughs> uh, no, you know, uh, I love uh, high school sports. It's always been a passion of mine. I hope that has come out through, throughout the broadcast. Um, you know, I've, oh, I've tried to be as re, you know, respectful as possible towards all the teams and coaches because uh, I, I know how hard they work, but you made me, you did make me make picks. <laughs> I, had to, uh, I had to go get some, some people that uh, I am promising next year that I'm not going to be the Homer guy. If you have me back, the games exactly as I see it. If my friends get mad at me, that's the way it goes. Uh, this year I took, you know, made sure that everybody that I knew I took their teams, but my record is terrible and I'm too much of a competitor. So I cannot do that again next year. So <laughs> back full blazes of your teams you know if I don't think you're gonna win then you know I'm gonna have <laughs> against you and just have them yell at me which I can take it's no big deal but uh I, I enjoyed the experience and uh, there's a every week you guys brought up different things that go on in the sport and there's so much more out, out there to cover it's just uh 
it's, it's so much fun to do it. And uh, I, it's kind of kept me paying attention to the game, which, which I really appreciate in teams and what's going on. So I had, I had a great time doing it. I know that uh, my agent will be calling. We're looking for a little salary increase next year. So um, I'm hoping we can work that out so I don't have to hold out until season, you know, week three. So I'm hoping we can avoid the lockout like baseball is going through right now. So that's, but once we take care of the business side of it, I think we're a go for sure. Chase has uh, Chase is staring down the barrel of multiple contract renegotiations. I think. <laughs> is that, yeah. So we're going to, well, we'll have to talk about maybe January. We're going to go out. We're going to go out, not now because it's raining, but probably in January, we're going to go out with the threesome here and play some golf. And then you guys can talk about that experience the three of us on the golf course that'll give you something to lead in to your but that's where deals are made is on the golf course but uh <laughs> I, I i can see it now coming to sports stars headquarters on august 1st of next year podcast commitment cards are due <laughs> thou shalt not choose against a spartans related coach <laughs> no we're, we're 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 all in next year this is the nice year for me not it's it's going to be the honest report and honesty next year. That's what we're going to, uh, and no more. No, I'm not going to get Spartan. We're going to, I'm going to pick them as I see them next year. That's Burning wheels are off. Yeah. That's completes your transition to the dark side. You learn you that very that, early. Right. You're not a true journalist until you pick against your friend. That's, That's right. Well, we will wrap this thing up in much the same ridiculous fashion as we usually operate. The holiday season is upon us, as you have uh, noted already, are there on the heels of our successful discussion of Thanksgiving traditions. Are there any notable Edson family Christmas traditions that the rest of the world would benefit from observing? Like, are you Santa Terry? And if so, wouldn't your former players all like to picture that? Oh, yeah. Well, um, yeah. So one of the Spartan traditions is uh, on the last game is that I play Santa Claus and I go out and buy uh, gag gifts uh, for the football players and then have a great time handing those out with commentary, which, uh, to put it mildly, is slightly sarcastic. Uh, <laughs> no. Something they did during the football season. Yeah. The gift was always something related to the football season, so I always had a good time with that. So I did play a little Santa back in the, this year. That would not have happened. It would have been strange. So uh, we didn't do that. But because uh, if I was coaching, I'm saying because we didn't get to – it was always the last game of the year. So I did not – I would not have known that Folsom was going to be the last game of the year. So that wouldn't happen. But uh, – I think the one uh, we already bought them. The one it's in tradition is um, both my daughters, my wife. We all we all buy uh, the same uh, pajamas and uh, Christmas pajamas. And my daughter said uh, this year, you know, that we've been wearing the same ones. Time to get some new ones. And they were sending us pictures, and it wasn't. But I, it was the dad that found this year's version of uh, the Christmas. So there's two traditions we have. Number one is. We are at some time during the day, a Christmas story is coming on the television. That is a Edson tradition. Because I actually saw, I'm one of the few people you know, I might be the only person you know that actually saw that movie in the theaters. Wow. Oh, the only person I know. Yeah, everyone's just seen it on TV. I actually saw it in a movie theater. That's number one. The other two Edson tradition is we have, uh, 
for breakfast on Christmas morning. We call it the gut, I call it the gut buster because it's this French bread cheese uh, um, dish that souffle that um, if you eat too much of it, you won't be able to walk or eat for like 36 hours. So uh, I, I, the first time I had it, I ate way too much of it. And it's like I, I named it the gut buster because I was feeling absolutely horrible all Christmas day. So uh, you take that in small bites, but that's also a, a huge etching tradition to make the gut buster sit down and open presents. So both my girls will be home for Christmas. So that'll be a, a fun thing to do. So uh, we had one more one more question that we were going to discuss, which you probably already answered. And I was going to say, we wrap this up with a time on our debate among the masses of what the best Christmas movie is. But I think I know yours. <laughs> what's, what's your favorite? Oh, it's Christmas definitely movie? a Christmas story. Yeah, that's, uh, there's, there's, there's no doubt about it. That is the greatest, uh, you know, I, everyone tries to go, you know, it's a wonderful life. Eh, it's, it's a good movie, you know. Home Alone, that's a good movie. <laughs> But what what's better than a Christmas story? It's pretty good. I, I mean, good. I feel better? like I feel like celebration. I mean, I enjoy it. Chase has uh, a only, different only answer. One, only one I like better, maybe, or just as much as Elf. That's one of my favorites. Elf is good. Elf's a good one. Yeah. Elf is. Too, I always show up, see when I do the Christmas toy drive, which we're doing. You know, we're finishing up this week. When I talk about it at um, Mass, where we kick it off, I always show a usually show a clip from Elf. It's always fun. <laughs> it's good. So I, I love that. We love Elf too, but I'm I'm still a Christmas story. I could tell you almost every line from that movie. I love that. I do enjoy Christmas story. I'm I grew up on Home Alone, so Home Alone was mine. Yeah, I know. I feel like Chase, really, you should have said keep the change, you filthy animal. But is it really <laughs> is it really a Christmas story though? <laughs> no, it's not really. It just happened during Christmas. It has a Christmas message at the end. Uh, oh, okay. Favorite. Well, all right. I don't know. I'm afraid to, after that analysis or re rebuke of your choice, I'm afraid to weigh in with mine. Uh, but What's I'm yours. I am going to answer this question with a place Nakatomi Plaza. If it's good enough for Jake Peralta, it's good enough for me. Give me Die Hard for 400, Trebek. That's not a Christmas movie. Oh, how wrong you are. That's a lot of death shot at Christmas. Are we Lord <laughs> Bowles on a Christmas movie to you? Die Hard's not going to be a Christmas movie to you. Yeah, let's, what's next? You're going to do a, a Christmas car with all your kids with the Uzis and <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Is there anything better? It must be from Italy. Look at Fragili. <laughs> There's not a better line than that. If I if I had a picture, Chase, for the episode extras, I demand a picture of Hans Gruber. <laughs> I I can uh, I can definitely picture uh, Coach leaning out the window and yelling "Bumpuses," though. <laughs> no, that's what my nephew calls my dogs. He calls <laughs> Bumpus. Because always Christmas Eve, my bring my family always comes over. And they always the dogs run around. They always calls them Bumpus. It's a see. It's, <laughs> There's so much to that movie. It's hilarious. Oh, oh God. Well, the, 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 how do the little piggies eat? <laughs> Randy. 
on that particularly <laughs> appropriate note, that is going to wrap it up for this final edition of uh, our chat with Coach Edson. Things we learned this season. Make sure to keep your eye out for Chicago Bears that you can add to your fantasy team. <laughs> Box the exacta when a Baffert horse is favored and try your best to hit the fairway off the tee. With that, we'll see you next season, Coach Edson. Thank you, Coach. Okay, boys. Merry Christmas. Happy Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Well, Ben, it's a good thing we don't have our usual picks now because that right there with Coach Edson and holiday movies seems to be about as solid of a party shot as we could come up with for this episode. Am I right? I'm searching my brain for a John McClane uh, quote here just to poke the bear a little bit more, but none comes to mind. So at least none, none that would keep this a PG-13 experience. Then let's, uh, let's wrap it up and uh, then we'll give our final thoughts after. So we're hoping to put together a small outtakes episode during the holiday break that should feature more Coach Edson related chuckles. So keep an eye out for that. Then our full season finale will likely come mid-January following Sports Stars, all NorCal team selections. That will likely feature a few special guests, including hopefully whoever we name our overall player of the year. It could also include you, fine listener. Yes, we want coaches, players, and fans to share their favorite moments for the 2021 season, and we'll pick some to share on the air. The best way to contribute is by leaving us a voice message at anchor.fm slash 7 Friday night. However, if you want to share in an email, you can send it to editor, E-D-I-T-O-R, at sportsstarsmag.com. We will also be posting links on our Twitter accounts to where you can leave the voice message um, or we'll share the email address as well uh, for you to send uh, a comment or two that we can read on the show. So this is your chance to get your school or favorite player the shout out it or he deserves. All right. Once again, we'd like to thank Sacred Heart Cathedral coach Mike Hill for joining us this week from a moving vehicle in the streets of San Francisco. And of course, our serious thanks to Coach Terry Edson for educating and humiliating us over the last 20 weeks. We built seven Friday night using Anchor, but the show is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for seven Friday night and please rate and subscribe. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com, and you can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. Also, follow the show on Twitter at, at SportsStarsPods. That's also where news will be coming out about season two of our other podcast, Sports Stories, which begins again in February. And you should also be following SportsStars Magazine at, at SportsStarsMag. Our cover art features photography and designed by yours truly. Our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips. He performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. There's a good chance we'll invite him on for our final season finale as well. And maybe he can play us out live. I don't know. I'll have to ask him about that. All right, Ben, wrap us up for one last time in 2021. Live music. I'm excited about that. <laughs> um, so, yes, to wrap things up, uh, I first want to thank you for having the idea to get together and put this ridiculous podcast uh, together. Every week I popped onto Zoom a couple times and shared my thoughts on a game that I love to watch, but you're actually the one who spent damn near an entire day putting it all together so people could actually listen to it. So credit to you for being the engine behind this funny car. 
we started talking about this podcast quite a while ago, probably a couple of years. And it's uh, great that we finally got it rolling. On that same note, we should probably thank the cohabitants of our respective households for letting us disrupt dinner schedules, weekend plans, and keeping them up late at night while we carried on about stuff they couldn't care less about. So thanks to them for putting up with us. Uh, second, I want to thank every coach, athlete, and journalist that joined us this year. We probably don't have time to name them all, so I'll thank them in total, but I just feel like the football community embraced us as it always has. Here's something that I've been thinking a lot about since the game's wrapped up, and it's going to stick with me. A couple days after St. Francis made history and beat De La Salle, Greg Calcagno joined us. A few days before the Spartans, before his Spartans met their rival Pittsburgh again in the NCS Open final, De La Salle coach Justin Allenbaugh joined us. Again, in a week that they were preparing to climb the mountain they'd never climbed, the Tremaine brothers, Josh and Tyler from Folsom, came on the show. And just a couple days before the epic one versus two matchup of NorCal Powers, Patrick Walsh was generous enough to give us some of his time. Those are big moments, some of the biggest in high school football this year, the moments that we will remember. And when we asked for a little bit of their time to talk about them, every single one of them said yes. So thanks to everyone who joined us and made this a show that I believe, and at least for us and our friends, was worth listening to. Finally, I want to finish back where we started. When you and I took the trip to Monterey Trail High School in Elk Grove in week one of the Sac Joaquin section season, we were coming off our reporting on what normal was going to look like. COVID was on the decline, we thought, and we were wondering what high school football would actually look like. Well, COVID never left, but what we saw that week at Monterey Trail is what we saw for the next 15 or 16 weeks at over 30 games that we covered between the two of us. It kind of goes back to what Coach Walsh said during the return to play movement last year. High school football can be accomplished safely, and can be a key component of society's return to whatever normal is going to look like from here on out. It was great to see communities come back to fill the stands and great to see that, at least from my vantage point, it all looked pretty dang close to what I saw last a couple of years ago when I was doing this full time. Credit to all the players, coaches, administrators, volunteers, and anyone else who played a part in bringing high school football back. It was a blast to watch and I'm looking forward to more in the years to come. That's what I got. We'll be back in January to make people mad at us about <laughs> who we pick and who we don't pick. But until then, what say you? Man, I'm pretty sure I couldn't wrap things any more eloquently than that. So maybe I'll save my list of thank yous and shout outs for the end of our January episode. That way the Oscars orchestra doesn't have to play us off. Do I get an award? <laughs> Is there an Oscar? Hi. <laughs> I will simply say that this journey has been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to putting a bow on it all come next month. And until then, happy holidays, football fans. We'll see you then. Peace. Yeah, there's nothing better than that movie. I don't care about you. <laughs> oh, come die hard. <laughs>